Hello and welcome to the History of Jackson podcast presented by Past and Present Media. This episode of History of Jackson was sponsored by the Bean Around Coffee. Bean Around Coffee is based in Peterborough and they sell and make some amazing coffee. You can head to their website to buy some coffee beans or some coffee grounds. Now they make some fantastic coffee and it is my favourite coffee in the country. And for you want to grab yourself some coffee, head to www.thebeanaround.com and use discount code HWJ and the bear. 10 for 10% off all your purchases. I'll leave the discount code and the website in the description below. Hi guys, today we are talking to Brooklyn's Museum Digital Marketing Officer, Rosie Mags. She's been a guest on the podcast before and today she is talking to us all about how Brooklyn's Museum is marking Women's History Month this month. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good, how are you? Oh, I'm really good, thanks. I'm, I'm really happy to you know, sit down and talk about uh, and, and mark a really important month in the historical calendar. Yeah, I'm really um, happy that we're celebrating and marking Women's History Month because I think it's so important um, just to shine a light on the women in history because sometimes it does get overlooked. Yeah, and, and I certainly agree. In, ter in terms of what Brooklyn's does, there are two massive industries where the role of women's kind of been erased or just whitewashed um in favor of what the of some of the achievement of men now some of our audience aren't going to understand or know what brooklyn's museum is so would you mind telling us what brooklyn's museum is before we get into it brooklyn's museum is based on the original site of the world's first purpose-built motor racing track so this was the first racing track in the world um it opened in 1907 um it was opened by hugh and ethel lock king um and there was also um a big aviation side as well as the motoring side so the motoring side ran from 1907 to till 1939 on the outbreak of the second world war um, and the aviation side actually started back in 1907 as well. So there was a aerodrome and um, there was a flying schools and lots of early aviation happened at the Brooklyn site. So the aviation side is actually bigger than the motoring side because the aviation side kind of stretched from 1907 all the way through till the mid 80s because there was an aircraft factory on the site um, which is where lots of modern planes were built. So stuff like Concorde was partially built at Brooklands um, and other kind of, you know, British Airways um, aircraft and stuff like that. So there's a lot going on there. And yeah, it's basically a museum commemorating the history of Brooklands um, and all the amazing things that happened there. So Brooklands was a key factor in World War Two. Um, they made aircraft there and um, it was just one of the key places that helped, you know, win the Battle of Britain. So it's a very important piece of British history. Um, it's not just the motoring and it's not just the aviation. There's tons going on. It certainly sounds like a amazing museum with so much to learn. Uh, and, and as you said, with having two really important parts of modern life. Um, and so many others, you know, you can learn so much there. Now, today we're talking about Women's History Month and, and how Brooklyn's is, is marking that month. Where did the idea 
come from to promote uh, and and examine Women's History Month through the prism of Brooklyn's. Recently, we launched a TikTok channel and um, I was kind of thinking of ideas for it. And in the summer, we had some costume characters playing some of the uh, legends of Brooklyn. So we had someone playing um, Elsie Wisdom. Um, there was a few other female racing drivers being kind of portrayed. And then in the October, we also had some female pilots being portrayed. And it kind of sparked my interest because I thought, well, we never talk about these women unless there's maybe an anniversary of their achievement or maybe, um, you know, something going on around them. Whereas with the kind of men's side of it, because there are so many, you know, male racing drivers, male pilots and, you know, engineers, it seems kind of more concentrated on them just because potentially, you know, John Cobb broke multiple records at Brooklyn. So he always comes up or, you know, Ken Elmley Guinness, there was a centenary for him. So it's kind of, I felt we didn't have enough attention on the women's side of things. Um, and I thought loads of people would actually be interested to hear about it because I think when you think about early racing driving, you don't actually think women would have been involved, but actually they really were. And it's a, it's a really nice idea to bring them to the fray uh, in, you know, at an institution maybe where they haven't been looked at enough. And it's really nice that, you know, living history is able to spark that interest in you. Now, as you've just mentioned, Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's history is littered with influential women and probably none um, as influential as Ethel Locke King, who you've already mentioned. Um, you know, how important is Ethel in the formation of, of Brooklyn's? So without Ethel, I don't think the track would have ever been finished. Um, so her and her husband, um, they travelled quite a lot. And I think it was in Egypt or somewhere like that, they kind of got the inspiration for a racetrack. So Hugh decided to go back and start it. Um, but halfway through the process, um, it was a very expensive process. Um, he actually had a mental breakdown and he was basically completely, completely unable to work or do anything. Um, and obviously with all the kind of financials going on, Ethel had to step in and make the decision. Does she cut the losses and just lose all the money and not open the track? Or does she continue with uh, Hugh's vision and put some more money into it? And potentially that could still go wrong um, and complete the track. And she decided to go with the option of let's complete the track. So she took over. Um, her family did help fund it as well because they had run out of money as a couple. Um, so her family put some money into it and she, you know, oversaw the final parts of the track being created. So without her, it definitely wouldn't have happened. It's 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 such a it's such an amazing story that she was able to step in uh, and finish that uh, that racetrack. And it, it's an incredible achievement of her to be able to do that. Now, she also is, you know, bar the creation of the, the racetrack, she's an important figure in motorsport history herself. Uh, would you mind breaking down her motorsport career as well? Yeah, so Ethel was actually the first person to drive round the Brooklyn's track. So everyone would think, you know, it's going to be some famous 
male racing star but actually she led the procession in her car which is called daisy we have it at the museum so if you ever come to the museum you will see daisy um and daisy still runs so we actually have a tv show secrets of the transport museum and you can see daisy in action in there because the volunteers restored it to make it work but yeah basically ethel uh drove daisy around the track um and then so the brooklyn's racetrack um, the main club was the Brooklyn's Royal Automobile Club. So the BRAC um, ran most of the events that happened there. Um, because Brooklyn's was one of, well, it was the first racing track. They based everything off um, horse racing. So um, that's why stuff is like horsepower, um, why there's paddocks for the cars, why there's just everything if you ever look at anything it's all the same as horse racing you never would have thought about it until someone tells you but everything is based off that and because they based it off horse racing horse racing didn't allow female jockeys so they didn't allow female race drivers either um controversially i think it was uh 1932 that they finally actually allowed women and men to race together um, but in 1908, they allowed one women's race to happen, which was the ladies silver bracelet race. Um, it was an all female race. Um, it sounds really interesting because they had to like tie their skirts up with rope so that it didn't get stuck in the car. Um, and yeah, it was kind of the first um, only female um, race that happened. Um, and Ethel raced in this. Um, and she came second. Um, so Muriel Thompson won, but she um, came second. Um, and I think because after that, they didn't allow any more female races. She kind of didn't do any more races at Brooklands, but she was a keen driver and she was really interested in cars. Um, and so she definitely was heavily involved in females in motorsport, even if she wasn't able to convince the people running the races to let them in and it's 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 incredible achievement that she was able to race on her own track um uh, and put in a fantastic performance to come second in that and you know it's it's still you know we're still seeing these attitudes towards uh women races today but it was it's fantastic to see that they're the pioneers and the trailblazers of the sport uh were performing and racing almost 100 years ago now there's a there's another most sport uh, racer who I found incredibly interesting and, and seems to be incredibly influential in the history of Brooklands and and her history in Brooklyn seemed to be entwined and it's it's a woman called Dorothy Levitt would you would you mind you know would you mind telling us all about Dorothy yeah so Dorothy is actually kind of classified as the first female racing driver so she was racing pre-Brooklands um kind of on the I guess not the tracks, the kind of more the road races and the rallies and stuff. Um, and she is also a woman who broke quite a lot of records. So I think she held the world's first water speed record, um, the woman's first land speed record. Um, and she was a journalist as well. So she actually wrote a book um, about how women should drive um and you know teach you know telling them what they should be doing um and in this book she wrote 
women should carry a mirror with them so they can hold it up and look back at the traffic to see what's going on. Um, and this was in, I think, 1909, um, which was actually before manufacturers added the rear view mirror to a car. So she is definitely the inventor of the rear view mirror. They definitely took her advice on board. Um, and yeah, so she was very um, influential um, female in the motorsport. I think she was probably, well, she was the most well-known female racer at the time. Um, and she tried to enter Brooklyn's races, but it didn't go too well for her. It's, yeah, regardless of not being able to get into those those Brooklyn races, it's it's a fantastic achievement of her to to have taken those those speed and water records and even um, invent something that, you know, I myself, I think I check about five, four times every minute when I'm driving. So it's a fantastic achievement. And, and the role of women, you know, you can see it in, in motorsport and, and motoring today, which is a fantastic achievement. Now, where did, what happened to Ethel and Dorothy after their, their motorsport careers kind of slowed down? So for Ethel, during the First World War, um, she played a massive part. She organised, um, I think, 15 hospitals in Surrey um, and was a, you know, kind of, you know, as a lady, she was obviously uh, quite influential and she was able to play the kind of higher up roles in these hospitals. So she actually helped the wounded men coming back um, from the war and um, I'm pretty certain that Brooklyn's house, which is where they lived, also was turned into like a convalescence home as well. Um, so actually her work with the hospitals in Surrey, because she did such an amazing job um, with the Red Cross, she was actually awarded a damehood for this um, because she played such an important role. I think Queen Alexandra, Alexandria, um, she... Uh, visited some of the hospitals and she even commented like in I think the press how well Ethel had done with all of this um so after World War One um Hugh Lockking actually dies in 1924 he was actually quite a bit older than Ethel um and so she like was still involved with the running of Brooklands um and overseeing the track um, up until I think 1939, which is when the track was basically re recommissioned for war use. Um, and then I think after that, they sold um, the track to Vickers Armstrong's, which is the aircraft factory um, that took over the site. So basically after that, she was, I think she was still on the board, but she was more farming the land. And um, apparently she really liked Guernsey cattle um, so she had a kind of more more relaxed than the speed and all that, but she was still interested and involved with it, just not to the same extent. Obviously, by the time we get past World War Two, she's, you know, in her 70s, so she wasn't necessarily able to um, do too much after that. It's really interesting to see Ethel take up all these different roles and responsibilities across the estate. Uh, and the track uh, across her lifetime, you know, as a racer, uh, helping the aviation, helping nursing, and and also farming, which is which is an incredible life, uh, an incredible set of careers. Now, as we've mentioned before, Brooklyn's was more than a race course, and it has an incredible amount of history, as you said, perhaps more so than its racing history. 
uh, of aviation history. You know, one woman who I, I saw was fundamental to the history of aviation at Brooklyn was Hilda Hewlett. You know, who, who is Hilda or who was Hilda and, and, and how was she so important? So Hilda Hewlett was the first woman in the UK to gain her pilot's license. Uh, so in 1911, she uh, got her pilot's license um, and kind of around this time, she met a French aviator and I'm going to absolutely butcher his name, um, Gustave Blondel. Um, she met him. She could speak French. So, you know, it helped. Um, and they decided to set up a flying school um, at Brooklands to teach people how to fly. Um, so through kind of, I'm pretty sure through them, people like Tommy Sopwith, who is a really famous character in um, aviation, he founded the Sopwith Aviation Company, um, and then he went on to make the Hawker Hurricanes and the Hawker Aircraft Factory. So, you know, a really important figure in kind of especially war history in Britain. Um, so they taught people like him how to fly. Um and yeah, so they taught loads of people how to fly. That was set up at Brooklands. There was um, there was a first flight ticket office at Brooklands and stuff like that. So it really became an influential place for aviation. Um, and then Hilda and Gustav moved into aircraft production. So they decided to start creating aircraft. Um, and then obviously in 1914, with the onset of the war, that then became super important because as much as people don't think about World War One air warfare, it did happen. It's actually quite terrifying because most of them were like cloth airplanes with like wood on them. And I definitely would not have wanted to get in that. And they just had guns that they just kind of sewed into the side or something. Um, terrifying. But they got involved in that and um, they actually ended up being really successful and moving to a bigger premises away from Brooklyn's because they just had so many orders. Um, but the interesting thing about Hilda is she really championed women coming into the workplace. So she really kind of wanted that to be a thing. She didn't want it to just like, oh, we're not going to hire women or whatever. Like a lot of companies would have been at that time. I know obviously in World War One, a lot of women did come into the workplace, but she was kind of championing it from the get-go and it's it's fantastic to see that kind of development from you know meeting someone and learning how to fly planes and getting your first pilot license to be an incredible uh businesswoman who is able to you know really help britain's effort in the war in the air uh during world war one and and speaking of that a championing of uh the role of women in the workplace and, and particularly in the engineering industry her history seems to be or her role in history seems to be entwined with a very important person to Brooklyn's which is Beatrice Schilling would you mind talking to us about this incredibly important and interesting uh, and influential figure in not only Brooklyn's history but British engineering history as well yeah so Beatrice Schilling actually started her career let's call it career as a motorbike racer at Brooklands um, and she is one of only three women to have been awarded the Brooklands gold star for being part of the motor bike racing um, and so that's kind of where she started um, she also was doing an apprenticeship um, to do engineering um, she was kind of guided by the Women Engineering Society to pursue this avenue. 
Um, so after she kind of stopped racing, um, she was working, she was an engineer, um, and she actually invented something that really, really helped the war effort in World War Two. So um, basically, when the kind of planes used to dive um, in the British RAF planes, the engines would cut out because of like the negative G-force. I'm saying this like I, I know, understand how planes work, um, but basically the negative G-force, the engine would cut out because of kind of fuel flow and um, stuff like that. Um, and the Germans, th their planes weren't doing this. So if they went for a dive, then the Germans could get ahead and basically it would be, you know, game over for that RAF pilot who's going against um, the German. Um, but Beatrice Schilling, she worked out a little device. I think they called it Beatrice Schilling's orifice, which just sounds horrible. Um, but they, she worked out this device that basically, I, I haven't seen a picture of it, but it was just a little thing that they put into the engine and it stopped the fuel flow. So basically it like yeah it basically rectified the issue that they were having when they were diving so then it then allowed the planes to be able to dive um and this i think she discovered this in 1940 so she created this it got put into like all of the aircraft um and then um yeah so they were able to do that um and it was her that worked it out so yeah she's really important to that kind of period of like you know the battle of britain was raging at this point and i think if that hadn't have happened i don't think it would have been you know a good outcome for the raf and it's incredible to see oh, to to hear that one little device was able to possibly change the course of the war and, and really help britain's and the air forces um efforts during world war ii uh, and you know we can still see these devices working on restored versions of these aircraft which is fantastic now a lot of these well not all of these women that we've spoken about are trailblazers trailblazers in the history of brooklyn's and women's history and another really important trailblazer who i found particularly interesting when researching for this episode is Dame Barbara Cartland and she she had multiple careers would you would you mind detailing to us her life because it just sounds so fascinating and so interesting and, and inspiring yeah so Barbara Cartland many people might know her as a romance novelist um so I think she wrote a crazy amount of books I want to say it's over like 700 books in her lifetime which is more than anyone that's ever been recorded so she must have just been constantly writing which I don't know how she had the time because she was doing so much other stuff um but she was a big society uh person I think she was a journalist and you know she was involved in the society so Brooklyn's was a place for her that she would you know hang out you know be with her friends um be with the society ladies because at in the kind of Brooklyn's period of 1907 to 1939, Brooklyn's was the place to be. You know, King, the future King George VI visited with his wife. Um, you know, Prince Edward, who became King Edward um, the sixth. I'm getting my eighth. King Edward the eighth. I'm getting all my Edwards confused. Um, visited. You know, it was a place to be seen. It was for you know the rich the famous um it was a really 
interesting place to be. And Barbara Cartland was kind of part of this. Um, she championed for a reading room to be installed at Brooklands um, so that women had somewhere to kind of, you know, chill out and, um, you know, be there. This reading room is actually still at Brooklands Museum. Um, so it was restored and uh, Barbara Cartland actually donated objects and money for that to be restored. Um, but that's still in the clubhouse. So if you do visit, you can you can see that. Um, and yeah, so she she also she claims that she also created the first women's race at Brooklands um, in 1921. She didn't because we you know, we just discussed the first women's race at Brooklands was in 1908. But she got a load of women together to be part of this 1921 race um, and kind of outside of her society um out you know outings and stuff with brooklands um she is also really into gliding as in uh, is it called like paragliding now or is it called gliding um but she's into that you know where you kind of it's a bit like flying but way more dangerous you're gliding yeah that's <laughs> um and previously i think most of the kind of gliding flights were about half an hour long people weren't doing it for long stretches of time because it was a kind of new thing um but barbara was like no i want to go for more um and she actually i think she crossed the channel um into france and did like a two-hour gliding um and she also had an airmail bag on her or maybe just a mailbag at this time um and so technically she did the first kind of air mile air mail flight and also her doing this then led to in world war ii um in operation overlord commonly known as d-day um she her doing that then meant that we the british um forces then knew how to use gliding as one of the key strategies for d-day and without her have you know pushing the limit and discovering that you could actually do gliding for more than 45 minutes um they wouldn't have been able to use that for d-day which could have been catastrophic to the mission it's it's such a it's such a fascinating life uh and that and the fact that her contributions weren't weren't just important for women socially at brooklands but they had massive ramifications for strategies in world war Two and and saving hundreds maybe thousands of men's lives and she's such an inspiring figure but like like you said rosie i don't i have no idea how she was able to write that many books it's it's truly amazing now there's another woman as well called barbara barbara harmer uh and and she had a, an interesting career as well but differently interesting uh than dame cartland would you mind would you mind telling us about this career switch from barbara harmer yeah so barbara harmer actually started off her career as a hairdresser so she left school i think at 16 went into hairdressing um but i think about six years into this career she decided to take a job in air traffic control at gatwick airport um and then from here it inspired her to learn how to fly and then from there, you know, what's the next step after learning how to fly and flying some planes? Hmm, become a Concorde pilot. So she went from being a hairdresser to being the first female Concorde pilot. Um, probably not in that 
long a space of time, actually. It probably, you know, if we actually looked at it, it'd probably be quite a short amount of time. The training for Concord was a kind of intensive six-month program. So technically from, you know, her learning to fly and being part of BA, it, you know, only six months to do that Concord training. Um, but she, yeah, so she was the first Concord uh, female pilot. I think there was only two others and they were on the French side, not the BA side, but she qualified before they did. Um, and yeah, so she flew Concord um, from 1993 until Concord was retired in 2003. Um, and the training she did was um, on the flight simulator that we have at Brooklands. Um, so we actually have the only original Concord flight simulator that the pilots were trained on um, that's in working order. A few people have said to me like, oh, the French one still exists, but you can't fly it. So our one's the only working one. Um, and you can come and fly it. You can book to come and fly it um, and, you know, get a tiny little bit of the Concorde training. I mean, it probably helps if you had the flight training beforehand. It might mean something, but, you know, it's good fun. I've I've flown the Concorde um, and it's, yeah, it's good. Um, but yeah, Barahama, um would have trained on this and you know it would have been a very male dominated um place you know obviously there were all men that she was working with um and i'm sure it must have been quite intimidating to be the first female concorde pilot it's such a prestigious aircraft and it was so famous there must have been a lot of publicity and stuff around at that time so i imagine it was quite intimidating yeah, I, I, I can certainly agree that that must have been incredibly, incredibly intimidating for her. But, you know, to have something within living memory and you guys at Brooklyn's being able to bring that to life for people, you know, makes me feel old. I can certainly remember the retirement of uh, Concord. So that's it's fantastic to hear about some uh, history that's still going on now. Now, you can't mention aviation and women's history without mentioning one of the most famous female aviators which is Amelia Earhart. You, know, you might not think that there's a connection between Brooklands and Amelia Earhart, but there is. Would you, would you mind unpacking that, that connection for us, Rosie? So Amelia Earhart did, in fact, visit Brooklands. Um, so Amelia Earhart, as you said, is one of the most uh, famous female aviators. Um, she broke so many records, and obviously her mysterious disappearance is obviously another reason why she's kind of stayed in living memory. Um, but she was a major celebrity at the time in the 1930s, um, and Brooklyn's opened its Aero Clubhouse. Um, so this was on the flying side. The Aero Clubhouse was a place for all the uh, aviation people to have dinners and um, it's a bit like our, the racing clubhouse, but just on the other side. Um, the aero clubhouse is actually kind of not on our site, but you can drive past it. So if you do drive to Brooklyn, so you, you, if you look out for a white building, you will see it um, on the way in. Um, but she came to the opening of the aero clubhouse in 1932. So uh, Amelia Earhart, Amy Johnson, and I'm going to get his name wrong, Jim... Jim Milroy? I don't know how you say his name. Let's see if I have it written. No, Jim, Jim something. Um, he was Amy Johnson's husband. 
um, they were three major flying celebrities at the time, um, and they were invited to open the Aero Clubhouse and um, watch some displays. I think I've, there's a video where if you keep up with the Brooklyn's Women's History Month, I have found a little video clip, which I'm going to try and use, of Amy Johnson and Amelia Earhart um, at Brooklyn's. Um, but yeah, so they came and opened that. And that must have been really exciting because Amelia Earhart was like just I imagine it would be like if I'm trying to think of like a similar like Kim Kardashian came to Brooklyn's or something it was like crazy because she was obviously this American uh celebrity she wasn't just an aviation celebrity she was like a major celebrity in America so it was really exciting that she came um to open the Brooklyn's clubhouse and I would assume she did go missing not too long after this. I think she went missing in 1933 or five, one of the two. Um, and so I imagine, I'd like to imagine that if she hadn't gone missing, she might have come back to visit um, Brooklyn's because it was a place of innovation and pioneering aviation. So I'm sure there would have been more opportunities um, for her to visit because there was lots of record breaking going on um, at Brooklyn's. And it's it's amazing to you know to, for people to have been able to see such a celebrity uh, such as Amelia Earhart. And I do certainly agree. I think she probably would have come back to Brooklyn's because uh, it is such an amazing facility. And you know for for being one of the places for aviation, you can't not go back if you're Amelia Earhart as well. Now, final fun question, as we do for all our guests here, Rosie, on the History of Jackson podcast, is, you know, you have worked and explored Brooklyn's and you've learned so much amazing history when creating TikToks or just looking around the site. What is your favourite thing that you have learned whilst at Brooklyn's? This is a really hard one to answer because I've learned so many cool things that I did not know. I say like every time that I walk around the museum, I find something new that I hadn't noticed um, before. There's just so many stories. Um, I'm going to give you a few little women ones that I just found really interesting. I'm researching this um, project just as fun little stories. So... Uh, one of my favourite things about kind of a few of the women I've read about, which includes Beatrice Schilling, they wouldn't marry their husbands until they had achieved some sort of award. So Beatrice Schilling wouldn't marry her husband unless he got a gold star at Brooklands. Um, luckily, he managed to. Um, and there was another one I read. I think it was Mildred Bruce. Um, she wouldn't marry her husband unless he won the Monte Carlo rally. It's like, that's, you know set your standards high um and I also love um looking through some of the pictures of some of the women with their cars so Kay Peter was four foot ten and she was driving a 12 litre Delage if anyone looks that up it's she looks so small the car is much bigger than her and she had to have wooden blocks on the pedals so she could drive it um so I love seeing those little tiny bits of kind of information coming through um in the history um and there's just been so much incredible things going on so this year is the 80th anniversary of the dam busters raid so doing lots on barnes wallace soon i might even pop back and chat to you about that one jackson um and 
last year there was the centenary of um the last land speed records at brooklands by ken armley guinness and his grandson ken armley guinness also attended and that was just great there was so much interesting stuff so it's just a place where you just constantly learn so I mean, I know I'm being really biased, but I would definitely urge anyone to come and visit and have like a proper look around, just spend the whole day and just look at everything that we've got because there's so much to learn. Uh, I know from every time we've had conversations about Brooklyn, you've always told me something new and it, it does sound like a really amazing museum where you can learn so much. And, you know, these women must have been so incredible because these men actually went out and achieved these things. They won those Brooklyn gold stars. They went out and won the Monte Carlo rally. Um, and to do that for someone to meet their standards and to match their, their successes, they must've been truly amazing trailblazing women. Now our listeners are going to want to learn more about these trailblazing women, Rosie, you know, I want to learn more. So where can our listeners and myself go to learn more about these women? Yeah you follow Brooklyn's Museum. So we have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Um, but the it will be a mainly TikTok based, but I will post the videos to the other platforms. Um, but on all platforms apart from Twitter, we're at Brooklyn's Museum. On Twitter, we're at Brooklyn's Muse, like with a little U at the end of Muse, because you can't fit the whole name in the Twitter handle. Um, but if you guys follow Brooklyn's Museum, then you will see uh, for the whole of March, so from the 1st to the 31st, that there'll be a new video every day um, on the women that we've selected. Obviously, it won't be every single woman to do with Brooklyn's, but we don't have information on every single woman. So we're going with the people that we've got, um, you know, archive bits or photos for. Um, but if you follow that, then you'll see it. We also have a website, which is brooklandsmuseum.com. There will be some blog posts on there. There's already some blog posts up about some of these women, um, but there will be a few new ones as well over March. Um, and yeah, just definitely just Google us and you'll find everything you need. I, I do have to say, Rosie, that TikTok is brilliant. I love watching the TikToks every, every time they come up on my feed. So do go and follow uh, all of Brooklyn's social media accounts and particularly our TikTok because the content on there is amazing and you will learn so much you know we've only caught a snapshot today haven't we so it'll, it'll be interesting to learn so much more about loads of different women that we weren't able to talk about today so thank you for coming on Rosie I really appreciate it thank you to Brooklyn's for for agreeing to come on for this episode um, and hopefully we'll talk to you about the Dan Busters later yeah, definitely. Um, I'm excited for the Dan Busters. I've been doing some research and it's just Barnes Wallace is just such an interesting guy. So I'm really excited about that one. Well, keep your eyes open for that one well, and ears open, guys, for when that one comes out. So thank you very much for listening to the History of Jackson podcast and we'll talk to you next time. 